page uh, 1488 in the Bibles provided for you, Luke chapter 14, and we're not going to read as listed in the bulletin just a few of the verses. We're going to lead, read from uh, 1 through 24, so we have all that full context, but uh, Luke chapter 14, page 1488, 1 through 24. This is God's word to us. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day. Will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved in Jesus Christ, a number of years ago, 1975, Jeff Barry and Jeanette Dubois scored a catchy tune that has been etched into the minds of countless American people, including, I'm sure, quite a few of us. It was a hit. See if you recognize the lyrics. 
Well, we're moving on up to the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky. Moving on up to the east side, we finally got a piece of the pie. Fish don't fry in the kitchen, beans don't burn on the grill. Took a whole lot of trying just to get up that hill. And now we're up in the big leagues, getting our turn at bat. As long as we live, it's you and me, baby. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Well, we're moving on up to the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky. Moving on up to the east side. Finally got a piece of the pie. Anybody remember that one? Can you hear the tune in your head? I'd lead it in singing, but it's not on the approved hymnal list, okay? <laughs> it was the theme song for the TV show called the what? The Jeffersons. And what was Mr. Jefferson's first name? George. And his wife's name was? <laughs> Louise, but uh, George called her Wheezy. And what did George do for a living that enabled him to move to the affluent east side of New York City to Manhattan? Anyone remember what he did? He owned what? Dry cleaning chain. Yeah, Jefferson Cleaners. Now, this is all useless trivia that uh, takes up precious space in our brains. However, even almost 50 years later, 50 years, that song nails the philosophy, the motivation, the desire of the typical 21st century American. Move on up. Bigger and better, baby. I want my piece of the pie. I want my turn at bat. I want to make it big. I'm going to claw my way to the top. Moving on up, moving on up. Get out of my way. The kind of up language, that kind is strewn all over typical conversations today. In the corporate world, we talk about people being upwardly mobile, right? The new woman in the company who displays drive and, and talent is called an up-and-comer or a rising star. We talk about going straight to the top, a meteoric rise to the top, and we get there by raising the bar and by rising to the next level. It's all up, up, up language. The idioms are all about going up. We don't look with awe and longing at people who are down and outers, at people whose star is falling, at downwardly immobile people. We don't aspire to lower the bar or drop to the previous level. No, it's up. That's where we want to go. And these days we lament the fact that up, up, up seems to be hitting quite a few little inflationary and economic roadblocks, but we're hopeful that um, those are just hiccups along the way, along the up, 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 that that will continue moving again very soon. We hope that. But then we read Luke 14. George Jefferson meet Jesus Christ. Luke 14 comments on that sort of up language it's a comment on that up mindset that is set like concrete in the typical American mind. I've got to get a little more, up to the top. And Jesus says, God's word says, wait a minute, before you buy into that completely, there's something I want you to see. And Jesus and the other guests at this party acted all out in living color. They act out for us what God wants us to see tonight. Jesus, on the Sabbath, on Saturday, heads to a party hosted by a Pharisee. He is a prominent Pharisee, the text says. He is an arch 
Pharisee, right? Like an arch enemy or an archangel, a higher up Pharisee, one at the top, one of the overarching Pharisees who has authority over the lesser lower Pharisees. So this is the big time. Jesus is apparently invited. Why? Well, let's assume it's because the religious leaders want to keep an eye on him and trap him. He was carefully watched, the text reads. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we we had that sermon about the, the, tech, the chapter before. It was about a healing that happened on the Sabbath too. So they're carefully watching him. So let's assume the worst. Yes, Jesus himself was rising in popularity as a speaker and as a teacher. And that too may have motivated the invitation by the arch-Pharisee. But from all we know about Jesus from other stories, more than likely he wasn't invited as a courtesy or because the leaders wanted to sincerely honor him, more than likely he was invited so that the leaders could keep an eye on him or even trap him somehow. For notice that a man with abnormal bodily swelling, sometimes called dropsy years ago, a disease that really made you look sick, just happened to be there. And it's the Sabbath again, so... Again, we have another possibility of what's going to go down here. Could there be another healing? Perhaps the man was only invited then. Perhaps the man only was invited, this, this, um, this man who was sick, to trap Jesus once more. We don't know for sure. But we do know that Jesus here was being carefully watched. The text tells us his every move was being watched. And it's likely that... Little sentences in there to show that it's the religious leaders, the Pharisees, including the head honcho Pharisee, the arch Pharisee, who are watching him. What will he do this time? Will he slip up? Will this little party uh, make his approval rating rise or will it lower it? Let's find out. Let's keep watching. They're watching as... Um, Reverend Scott Jose remarks, it brings to mind the old adage, keep your friends close, keep your enemies even closer. Why? So you can keep an eye on them. Now, here in this episode, maybe Jesus' defenses will drop for a bit and he will reveal something he shouldn't so that as their enemy, they'll, they'll learn something new about him that will be to their advantage. But the arch-Pharisee and his sidekicks, the other Pharisees and experts in the law, verse 3 tells us they're there too. They aren't the only ones carefully watching in this story. They aren't the only ones keeping an eye out. Jesus also has an eye for detail, has his eye, in fact, on them. After he heals the man with bodily swelling, verse 7 begins, Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table. Jesus noticed. They went for their places of honor. Apparently, with one exception, the man needing healing, he was sent home, of course. All the other guests are in their prime. Healthy, important, powerful, upwardly mobile, probably wealthy. So when uh, the butler comes in, the Jeeves delicately tinkling the... Uh, Dinner bell alerting the guests, well, dinner is served. The other guests, not so delicately, go rushing to find their seats. And wouldn't you know it, they're all headed for their places of honor. Can you picture this? 
Can you picture this scene? They're all standing around during the half hour of pre-dinner punch bowl, mingling, rubbing shoulders and elbows, giving air kisses and high fives and half hugs to their corporate buddies and their spouses. But you see it in their eyes. They're scoping out the places at the table where they want to sit. There are no name cards with table numbers like at a wedding. It's every man for himself. And so they're going through their routes in their heads for how they'll get to their spot once the dinner bell rings. You wouldn't want to find your seat prematurely because then your friends would accuse you of being a little snooty. You've got to find a way to make it look like the seat you want just happened to open up as you walked by. These strategies likely all going through their minds or something like it. For some folks, we do the same thing to make sure we get an aisle seat in church. You know who you are. I'm one of you. Aisle seat all the way, baby. And one seat better for leg room, of course, is right up here. Just so you know that, if you've ever sensed God calling you, this is one of the perks right here, extra leg room. There's more than a few other perks, of course, that are more important. But, but for the folks at this arch-Pharisee's party, it wasn't leg room they're worried about at all. It was honor. How can I get a seat of honor? That's where I belong, after all. So the dinner bell rings, and remember, Jesus is watching. For a moment in the mad rush, they take their eyes off Jesus. But he never takes his eyes off them. He notices how guests pick the place of honor at the table, and instantly a teachable moment arises. He clears his throat, everyone stops, dead in his or her tracks. Some have their seats, some are still maneuvering. One just shoved the butler out of the way to clear a path, but when Jesus clears his throat, you can hear a pin drop. He instantly has their attention and tells them a little parable. And what a parable it is. By the time he utters the first sentence, the Pharisees and the experts in the law have failed in their mission that night. They were carefully watching Jesus, and in their haste to find their seats, Jesus got the drop on them. They had noted Jesus' meteoric rise in popularity as a teacher of the people, and quite frankly, what seems awfully apparent is that Jesus was invited so that these Religious leaders could knock him down a few pegs. They wanted Jesus to stumble, to fall into their trap. They wanted to take him down. That seems pretty obvious from all that we know about Jesus' interaction with Pharisees. But they took their carefully watching eyes off Jesus. And Jesus took the advantage. He never stopped watching them. And he says, when you get invited, to a wedding feast, this wasn't a wedding feast, when, when you get invited to a wedding feast, don't go running for the place of honor, or you might be sorry. Some other distinguished, more distinguished person than you may have been invited. You may be drinking punch with him and not even know he's more distinguished than you. Wouldn't you be totally embarrassed, humiliated even, if you had already sat down? And the host asked you to move to the only seat left, a seat at the kiddie table. And you'll have to get up in front of all those other people and crawl on over, and there'll be an undersized chair with a plastic sippy cup and a bib. But I'm sure you all know that, of course, and that would never happen to any of you. And keep imagining it. 
and we're being very imaginative in this, of course, but suddenly the people who are still standing, vying for the best remaining seats, just sort of casually pull out the seat they're standing closest to, and they sit in that one nonchalantly and unfold their napkin on their lap and fold their hands to await the prayer of thanksgiving. But Jesus continues in verse 10. If you'd ever think about doing something like that, and I know telling this crowd that, well, that it, it's like preaching to the choir. You would never do that. But let me continue. If you ever think about going for the chair of honor, why don't you find that least important section and sit there instead? Because who knows? The host might ask you to move on up, and that would be pretty cool. What an honor that would be. But I know I don't have to tell, tell all of you that. You know all that already. You know your Proverbs and your Chronicles. You know that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Of course you know that. And there they all are, agreeing with Jesus, nodding their heads and smiling and waving their hands in assent. Of course we know that. We we know life isn't all about clawing our way to the top. We don't have to be moving on up all the time. Life is fine right where we are. We're content, of course we are. And then Jesus looks at his host for the meal. He had been speaking to the entire group. Now he turns his attention to the host, to the arch-Pharisee, the top guy, at least at this party, and remembers who and remember now remember who was invited here it seems like a bunch of important people were invited and then the man with the severe swelling illness dropsy or edema or what we call it today an illness by the way that made the person all bloated and made him look like he was really out of place all these healthy robust beautiful affluent powerful folks and one sick guy who it's pretty clear was there simply as that test for Jesus and he's sent away. Would he heal him on the Sabbath or not? So Jesus scans the remaining group and seeing no one else like that sick guy, he's the only sick guy who was there. Jesus starts in on the host. Another teachable moment. When you give a big dinner or lunch, getting closer to home here, don't invite just a bunch of your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives or rich neighbors. They'll repay you by having you over to their place. If you really want to make an impression, have a party and invite the poor, and the crippled, the lame, and the blind. They can't repay you, but one day God will at the resurrection in the new heavens and new earth. God will remember that. And by this time, everyone around the table, they don't know where to look. The host, he certainly doesn't know where to look. They know that they've all been knocked down, not just a peg or two, they've been knocked completely off the ladder they're on, the ladder we sometimes call success or wealth or affluence or power or popularity or theological prowess with these Pharisees. Jesus got them to move on down. Jesus got them right where he wanted them. Or did he? Or did he? The next verse says, when one of those at the table heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. 
which, which one commentator says the party must have gotten so awkward after Jesus' first two teachings, it, it must have been dead quiet, everyone wondering whether they should just get up and go home now until finally someone blurts this out. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God, which the commentator said if it were today, that would have been like someone saying, well, so how about those tigers anyway? Silence broken, polite conversation follows, party can proceed, thankfully. But Jesus doesn't let them off the hook that easily. Jesus got them, again, right where he wanted them, but they refused to stay there. So Jesus tries again with a parable that basically says, I know you would never want to be at a party with a bunch of lame, blind, crippled, poor people. I know it. That much is obvious. I know you'd decline the invitation. But that's who I want at my party. And I want you there too. But if you refuse to come because in your mind those other people are there, you will not have a second chance when that feast of the kingdom of God that you're talking about comes around one day when all things are made new. If you don't want them with you now, you're not going to have them with you then because you will be the ones left out of that feast, out of that kingdom. And so you wonder, don't you, did these partygoers finally get knocked down off the moving on up ladder enough to be bothered with those who can't climb it at all? Did they finally get knocked down enough to stay down, to realize that life is not about clawing their way to the top, but rather about crawling to the bottom and serving there? For it turns out the bottom is not really the bottom at all. The kingdom of God is upside down, topsy-turvy. The bottom is really the top. The top is really the bottom. We've heard that before. Jesus, in fact, proved it in the most humiliating of deaths, a crucifixion in the ultimate descent, crucified, dead, and buried. We sometimes call that crucifixion a descent into hell. Jesus served people in need. Jesus saved people in need. Jesus forgave people in need. Jesus crawled to the bottom, and at the cross, the kingdom of God showed itself to be an upside-down kingdom. For at the cross was victory. At the cross, glory. At the cross, salvation. At the cross, Jesus brought healing for lame, blind, crippled, poor, sinful people like all of us are. And so Jesus tells us, your life is to be all about that too. About not clawing your way to the top, because it's not really the top, but crawling to the bottom where you get to serve. That's the highest point 
in the kingdom. The high point of kingdom life at the bottom. So get down there. Get down there and serve those in need. You're just like them. You need a savior. They're just like you. They need one too. And though the moving on up world will never believe it, you also both need each other. They need you, and you need them. Now get down there and serve and enjoy the uppermost top of the kingdom. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for stories like these in Scripture, true stories, where Jesus heals, where Jesus teaches with parables, where Jesus throws everything upside down where the people who are trying to keep up with him are left in the dust. They're trying to stay on their toes and they're caught flat-footed. Father in heaven, we know that can be us sometimes, where we think we have it right, where we think we know what the kingdom of God is all about. And then you teach us in your word it's about something totally different. It's about getting down to the bottom to serve. Remind us of that every day when we're tempted to claw our way to the top, put us on our knees instead so that we may serve the least of these. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.